You know, a lot of people go through their lives seeing God like a talent show judge. They view God as being this cosmic judge that's up there behind a desk, judging our performance, giving us good marks or bad marks, and they just go through life seeing God as a judge of their talents, their gifts, and their abilities. I don't know about you, but it would scare me to death to stand before a talent show judge. Would it scare anybody else to stand there and be critiqued and stand there and then say, you're terrible or you're great or whatever? But some people see God as this great judge in the sky that's judging them every time they try to do something new, they try to do something fresh, and and they think that God is just out there looking for something better looking for somebody better. And when we mess up, people who see God as a talent show judge think that God's just ready to kick you to the side. Today, we're in week three of a series called Image is Everything. Now, I've been talking about our image of God and how that affects our lives. You know, how we see God determines a lot in our lives. Our view or our image of God determines how we treat other people. Whether that's good or bad, it determines the way we treat and view other people. Our image of God also determines how we view ourselves, what we see when we look in the mirror. Do you like what you see? Do you not like what you see? And a lot of that, in fact, most of that is based on your image of God. Our image of God also determines how we live our life. However you view God will determine the way you live, the way you make decisions, the way you lead your family, the way you act as a husband or a wife or as an employee. We've talked about God in a couple different ways in this series. We've been talking about destructive images, and today is the last destructive image we're going to talk about. Next week, I'm going to start on constructive images. One of the destructive images we talked about was God treating God like an all-you-can-eat buffet, just going to God and, and pulling away the parts we like, leaving the parts we don't like, just filling up our spiritual plates with what we like and refusing all the stuff that we don't like. That's no way to view God. And week before last, our youth pastor, Darren Hull, talked about some people see God as a father figure, but that's not always a good thing. Because maybe your idea of a father is distorted because you didn't have a good one. So that can even be a destructive image of God, seeing him as the big parent in the sky. When I was a child, I lived near my grandparents' home. And we would go there, my cousins and I would go to to grandma's house. We'd go down there when we wanted to get to do anything we wanted to. You know what I'm talking about? You go to grandma's house and she or, or grandpa, they, they just kind of let you run crazy. Don't you hate it when your kids go to grandparents' house? It takes like two weeks to get grandparents out of them when they come back because they have gotten to do anything they wanted. So here's my cousin and I at our grandparents' house getting to do anything we wanted. But eventually, grandma would get so frustrated because we're always pushing the edge of what acceptable is and we're always testing how rebellious we can be without getting in too much trouble. And she would come to the door and call us down and come to the door and call us down and see what the crying was about, what broke, who's bleeding, what's going on. And she would finally come to the door that last time when she was right at the end of her rope 
and she would invoke the name that would strike fear in the hearts of any 10-year-old. She would say, boys, you better settle down. God is not going to be happy with you. And that would like military men all of a sudden. It was like, what? Grandma, come on. We didn't want to upset God. We're just trying to have a little fun here. And she would say, boys, God, and she would bring us in, line us up, and she would say, boys, God gave you some black marks today. I'd be like, oh, gosh, I didn't know I was, I was making God upset. I was just trying to play. And, and so she gave me this picture of God, and, and I know she was just trying to get me to behave because I probably didn't, and, and I understand that. But she gave me this picture of God, and I didn't think talent show judge, but it's pretty much the same thing, this picture of God that he's behind a table, he's got a clipboard, and he's got a column for red marks and a column for black marks. And for a lot of my life, A lot of my life, I pushed God away because I saw God as this big judge up there behind the table with a clipboard, and I just knew that I couldn't get more red marks and black marks. I'm not wired up that way. You know, I knew that I was going to get more bad than good. So I just pushed him away and pushed him away because that was my image of God. That's probably one of the most destructive images of God that you can have, God as a talent show judge, a God that that you think loves you because of your performance, that you think accepts you because you do really well and because you happen to do a lot of things on this list and don't do a lot of things on that list. And, And you see God as this big cosmic talent show judge in the sky saying, you did well today, so I'm I'm pleased with you. You didn't do well today, so today I'm not. And it's a destructive image because it sees God as a God who's ready to kick you out or kick you to the side for someone who's better at any moment, saying, if you perform well, then I love you. If you mess up, then you're out. How did humans ever get to having such a destructive image of God, a God that sees us that way? You may be thinking, well, I don't see God that way. I think a lot of people at some point in their lives struggle with God being this big judge that's just giving us red marks for good, black marks for bad. Since the beginning of time, humans have wanted to understand things. Humans have always sought to understand things more. How do things work? How do we do this? How do we continue to grow as a, as a culture, as a society? How do we do that? Humans have always been intuitive, and they just want to learn more and more and more, and humans have always wanted to understand God and mankind throughout history has sought to explain him, to teach him, to get their minds around this being that we can't see, this being that's out there, if you believe in God, this being that's out there or something is bigger out there. We, we all know there's something bigger out there. So mankind has always sought ways to explain this thingness that's out there that that we can't really see or or touch or sit down and have a a conversation with, it's impossible to totally wrap our minds around something that never began, never ends. There's no beginning to God. There's no end to God. Right there, that's enough for me to pop a couple of blood vessels in my brain because you can't get your mind around how does something not begin and end? especially in our culture, new stuff all the time, more new stuff, more new stuff in the first seven years of this century than in the previous 100 years. More new products, more innovation, more stuff. 
And then to get our minds around a God that's always the same, always has been, always will be, doesn't wear out, doesn't end, can be many places simultaneously, can be here with us hearing our worship, but be halfway around the world hearing and paying attention to somebody else's worship, hearing my prayer the same time he hears yours and being attentive to that. How in the world do you get your mind around that? And that's what humans have sought to do since we first breathed air was how do I get my mind around this thing that's so much bigger and so much greater than I am? In the Old Testament, there's a man named Moses, and I talked about him a few weeks ago and how he was the person called by God to lead the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. And Moses got him out of slavery. He took him into the desert. They were traveling to the promised land, and they got to see God perform all of these miracles. And then they had to start waiting on God, and then they took the gold they had, and they made it into an image They made it into an image they could understand and wrap their minds around. They took the gold and made it into a calf because they understood cattle because they had lots of them. They understood gold, so they made a golden calf because that they could understand. And that they danced around and they worshiped. They said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. This is the God that performed all of those miracles. So now there's an image, there's an idol. They can understand God. And Moses is trying to say, stop making idols and worship the one true God. And it wasn't just that they were worshiping another God. They were trying to worship the God that delivered them from Pharaoh's hands, but they wanted to understand him completely. They wanted to wrap their minds around who he was. So they were making idols to represent the one true God. Because in that day, in that culture, When you accepted a God, you made an idol or you adopted some other idol and that became a symbol of your God. That became your God. That became what you worship because they thought that this other deity that they worship would come down and indwell this image that they created. They were man-made idols created by man so they could wrap their mind around and touch and see and get human logic around God. And Moses is trying to say, that's not how it is with God. This was a new concept to these people of what the true God is like. Moses was trying to say, there's no way to capture this God. There's no way to truly understand and truly capture everything about this God. Moses of all people knew because when Moses was called by God to go to Egypt and bring the slaves out of Egypt into the promised land, he asked God a question. He said, God, what do I tell him your name is? Because I'm going to go and say, hey, God says, let you go, but they've got all these God. What am I supposed to say? Who do I tell them sent me? And he said, tell them I am sent you. Now the word I am in Hebrew means be. So God's name in Hebrew is be. And that means just be. Be here, be there, no beginning, no end, just be. So when he said, I am sent you, their ears perked up because it's like, wait a minute, there's a God that just is, that just be? That's amazing. So they listened. So that word meant something to them. So Moses, of all people, knew that this God that just was be, that just was everywhere at all the time, that could not be confined to time and space. He knew that an image, that an idol could never capture this God. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 12, it says this. When Moses is trying to talk to the Israelites about this, he says, You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. Now, you might, I doubt anybody in here is going to make an idol or a golden calf or, or, or something to say, this is God, this is what has delivered me. But that was their attempt to get their mind around God. So we create images, more often than not, they're mental images, but we create images to try to get our minds around God and who he is, to get our minds around how he operates. That's how people end up with destructive images of God, is seeking to understand and get our minds around who this God creator is. All destructive images that people have of God come from a desire to know more, to control to confine this God to a space, to a time, to a way that humans can completely use logic to get it. And all destructive images come from that. Because if we come up with a destructive image that makes sense to us, then guess who's in control? We're in control. If we can come up with an image of God that we understand, then we're in control of God rather than the other way around. Because we're good at controlling. Humans are pretty good at it. Haven't we figured out some pretty cool stuff in the last 50 years? Haven't we made some huge strides in medicine and healthcare? Hasn't all that stuff been great that humans have figured out some of that stuff? We're good at that. We're, we're good at figuring things out. So we bring that over to God and we try to figure out everything about God and control him. So, but the more we try to control God and understand him, the more distorted and destructive our images of him have become we've become less like God. In our world, people see it like this. You have bosses and you have employees. Now, it's the boss's job to evaluate us, the employees. And if we're a boss, it's our job to look at them critically and try to help them get better at what they do or kick them out if they don't do the right thing. Or, you know, it's our job to kind of monitor them. So that's the way it works in the world. So if I'm an employee, I have a boss that maybe once a year, once a quarter, at some point will evaluate me. You all can relate to that. You go sit in your boss's office and he's got some way to evaluate you, whether it's a point system or grades, A, B, C, D, whatever it is, or numbers, somehow you're evaluated. And you're told if you score really high, then you're very valuable to us. If you score really low, then you're given some what things to do to improve yourself. And if you consistently score very low, you're out. You're fired. It's the same way with school. You perform well, you're in. You don't perform well, you're out. Performance is what separates some people from the rest of the pack. People that perform really well probably have very good jobs. People that perform really well are probably looked upon by their peers like, Oh, if I could only be like that person and, and get that much product out or sell that much stuff or, or have that much smarts to create these things. I, I mean, you're really rewarded for your accomplishment and that's great. That works in this kind of relationship, student, teacher, boss, employee. That works and there's nothing wrong with that. But when it's transferred to God, it becomes destructive. When I transfer performance based life from the world where we live to God, I begin to see God as this great talent show judge in the sky and things get destructive pretty quick. 
When I begin to see God as a God who stands there with his clipboard saying, okay, you're doing great, great, bad, bad, bad. Now, next person, oh, you did great. You're wonderful. And then your perception is God begins to have this system where some people are valued more than others because of what they produce. And nothing could be further from the truth when it comes to God. That might work great in an environment where you're trying to make a profit, but it does not work with God. That's not the way he operates. When God is my talent show judge, a few things happen. When I see God like that, when I have that destructive image, I act like someone I'm not. When I'm in competition with you, my job, my responsibility, my desire is to win. If we're in competition, if you and I are doing something competitive, I want to win. I don't want you to win. And if I've got to act like somebody I'm not, do things I really don't know how to do, I'm going to do it anyway because I want to win. And when we see God as this talent show judge, we tend to act like who we're not because we think if I can be like this person or if I can be as good as that person, if I could sing like that, speak like that, pray like that, if I could do those things like that, then God would be more pleased with me. Nothing could be further from the truth. God wants you to be you, not somebody else. As you can tell from the video, I'm never going to be a famous stage dancer. It's not going to happen. I wouldn't even let you hear my voice trying to sing. But God's wired me up to do something different, and I have to be okay with that. You are unique, so be you. Teenagers that are in here, you are unique. Be you. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to become somebody else. You are unique. There's only one of you. You've got a unique set of experiences. You've got a unique personality. Be you but realize that we can learn more about God. There are things in our life that we need to stop doing. There are things in our life that we need to start doing. There are things in our life God would call sin. So that doesn't mean God is not wanting us to get sin out of our lives. He does, but he wants you to be you. God did not create you to live in rebellion to him. He wants you to be you. I would rather be disliked for who I am than liked for who I'm not. Wouldn't you? So I'm going to be me. And if you don't like me, well, sorry. I would rather you not like me for me being me than like me because I have to fake it and be somebody that I'm not. People who live like that live a happier life, I promise. Another thing, when I see God as my talent show judge, I perform. I try to perform because like in most places in life, when you perform well, you, your value goes up. If you're good at something, you're more valuable. If you're bad, then, you know, Joel hasn't asked me to sing a song yet because I can't. So, but, but if you see your life as just a performance, then you're going to be down because there's always something you can't do. And God's not sitting there thinking, You can't sing, you can't dance, you can't speak, you can't whatever. That's not the way it works. But when I see God as this big talent show judge, then I think I have to perform. Survey after survey finds that most people who don't follow God say yes to this statement. I don't follow God because I can't be good enough. Most people say that, that don't follow him. I have a friend who for years and years has been my friend but not followed God, not given his life to Christ. 
And I asked him one day a few years back, I said, what holds you back? What keeps you? You know all the stuff. You know what to do. You, you, you seem to have some knowledge about God, but yet you, you don't accept Christ. You just live your life the way you want. And he said, well, I've got a temper. And I could never get rid of this temper. And until I can, I'm not even going to attempt to approach God. Well, newsflash, if you've got a temper, the only person that can help you with it is God. If it could be fixed by you, wouldn't it be fixed by now? Anything in your life, if you could fix it, wouldn't it be fixed by now? Because if I could fix the things wrong with me, I would go home and fix them today. So God is the place to go to say, I'm a mess. I can't do this thing. I need you in my life. People who see God as just a judge of their talents and abilities live their life just trying to please, trying to please, trying to please. We live in this culture of busyness, a culture that reveres busyness where if somebody's really busy, then we think, oh, they must be productive. They must be serious about their work. They must, they, they must have their act together because they're busy all the time. They're all the time doing something, and wow, they're, they're just something else because they're busy. And, and, and wow, you're working 75, 80 hours. Yeah, wow, that's, that's awesome. Busyness will wear you out. Busyness will eat you for lunch. Busyness will destroy your relationships, your family life, your mental health, your physical health. And yet we live in the world that says the busier you are, the more valuable you are. And people live lives busy, fast, and adding more to their plate and calendars all the time. Even in church, adding more and more and more, all the while never really knowing the one true God. So when it comes to God, we figure if we just stay busy, if we just do enough, then God's going to be more pleased with me. If I just do enough, if I just get enough going, God's going to be more pleased with me. That's not the true image of God. Psalm 46 verse 10 says this, be still and know that I am God. See, for those of us who live busy, busy, busy lives and never seem to be able to stop and take a breath, God says, there's got to be some time you sit down and you just are still. You're not thinking about what you're doing next. You're just still and knowing God and who he is. That's what has to happen. If we're ever going to know who God is, we've got to have some stillness in our life, some quietness, some place that blocks everything else out. The noise of our lives and our busyness has to stop, and we go to God, and we're just still. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 11, verse 28, when he said, come to me. If you're weary if you're tired, if you're overworked, if your relationships are failing, come to me. If you don't think you can take another step, come to me. Because if you do, you will get rest. God is saying, would you stop with all the activity and give me the intimacy that I desire? And so many people take the intimacy they could have with God and trade that for a life of nothing but activity, and that's not the way God wants it. Of course, we want to do our best. Of course, there's some busyness that just has to happen in life, but there's a fine line between doing things with excellence and performing for acceptance. Another thing is, 
If I see God as a talent show judge, I fear losing. Nobody wants to lose. So if I see God as this big talent show judge grading me, then I'm afraid all the time because I don't want to lose. I don't want to be sent packing. I want people to call in and say, we want to vote for him. We think he's great. If I see God like that, then I'm always going to go through life afraid, scared of not doing good enough, scared of not performing, scared of falling short of the mark. But the truth is, you don't have to be afraid of losing with God because God delights in every person that has ever lived. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. So God's not my talent show judge. He doesn't want me to put activity over intimacy. But what does he want? What does God want? If he's not wanting all my activity, if he's not wanting to grade me, then what does God want? If I can't perform well enough for God to accept me, well, what could God want from me? God wants the same thing you want from everybody in your life you've ever loved. He wants the same thing from you you seek from your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your children. He wants that same thing because God is a pursuer of us. God wants our hearts, not activity, not busyness. God wants your heart. If God has your heart, all that other stuff is going to follow. But if you think that somehow you're more pleasing because you're more talented, then you do not understand God. In Psalm 51, 16 and 17, it says, you would not be pleased with sacrifices or I would bring them. If I brought you a burnt offering, you would not accept it. The sacrifice you want is a broken spirit, a broken spirit and a repentant heart, O God, you will not despise. Hosea 6 verse 6 says, I want you to be merciful. I don't want your sacrifices. I want you to know God. That's more important than burnt offerings. What's a burnt offering? What's he taught? Why is he saying, look, there's things more important than burnt offerings. A burnt offering was when a person in that culture, Jewish culture, would go to God and want to have their sins forgiven. Jesus hadn't been around at that point, so there was no just accepting Christ. So how are we going to have our sins forgiven? Well, God asked for a sacrifice. The things they owned of value were, was livestock. So they would take an unblemished animal, a goat, a sheep, a bull, something. They would take it to the altar, and before they would kill it, they would physically put their head against the animal's head, and they would say, may the sins I've committed be transferred to this animal. And then they would kill the animal, and they would put it on the altar, and they would burn it. And they would say, God, this is our sacrifice to you. We want you to forgive our sins. See, even thousands of years ago, people were saying, how can I get rid of the guilt? How can I get rid of the pain? How can I get rid of the mistakes? And that's the way they were doing it. And God says, I don't want all that. There's something that means way more to me than your sacrifice, way more to me than your words, way more to me than just your actions. It's your heart. And when your heart is broken, when your heart is repentant, meaning I don't want to be this way anymore, and God says, now you're getting closer to understanding what it's all about. 
God seeks our hearts. No one, no one except you and God know the condition of your heart. Nobody knows. We can see you on the outside and you might look great, be great, do all these great things, but we don't see what's inside. I can't see what you walk in carrying every week and take it away with you every week. Only God can see that and only you can see that. God is concerned not with performance, but your heart. And if you start there, if you start with your heart, even though it's messy, if you start with your heart, even though the Bible says, above all things, the man's heart's deceitful. Above all things, your heart's deceitful. But God says, start with your heart because that's what he desires. If that becomes open to God, then all this other stuff is going to fall into place. When our oldest daughter was in preschool, she would come to my office and she would sit at a table I had there and to occupy her time while mom was out shopping or taking care of the new baby, she would sit and draw little pictures for me. And every now and then she would create one that she thought was a masterpiece. She thought this is dad quality right here. I mean, this picture, he's got to have this one. And I don't know how she determined which one she was going to pick, but one day she chose this one as one of her works of art. And she brought it over to my desk. I was real busy working. She came over to my desk. She said, Daddy, I made this for you. I looked at it, and I was like, oh, honey, that is beautiful. I'm going to scan it and frame it. And I did. What if I would have said, now, Molly, what in the world is that? You realize those flowers are like 25 feet tall if that thing's to scale? And you've got conflicting colors. You've got red clouds and yellow clouds and, and green and, and uh, red and yellow flowers. And is that you? Do you realize if that were real life how strange of a body that would be? Did I sit down with her that day and say, look, good try, good effort. But I want you to, I'm going to wad this up and throw it away. And I want you to go back over there and I want you to get it right. I want you to come back with a perfect picture. Well, of course I didn't. I took it and I put it on my desk. I've got, I literally have a stack of pictures my children have drawn this high. I can't throw them away. I took it and I put it on the pile with all the other beautiful works of art. You couldn't buy them from me. I won't throw them away. I don't know how many I'm going to have by the time they're like 30, but I'm going to keep all of them, because to me, they're all masterpieces. And I said, Molly, go back over to the table and color. So she goes back and draws me more pictures. That's the way God looks at us. He says, go color. You're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. Things are going to get out of proportion. You're not going to do it right sometimes, but just color. Just go enjoy Sometimes it's going to be outside the line. Sometimes it's just going to be, it's not going to look like anything. It's not going to make sense. But God says, you're you, be unique, go color. Because above everything else, God wants heart way more than he wants perfection because you can't be perfect anyway. So why not go ahead and just give God your heart? That picture wasn't perfection, but it came from a heart that wanted to please her dad and give him something. And that's what God wants from us is our heart. In the book, The Deity Formerly Known as God, Jarrett Stevens says this, his cheers ring out not for our flawless performances, but for our sheer existence. He loves us and delights in us, not because of what we do for him, but because of who we are 
to him. God wants your heart.